0: Hello everyone, welcome to Sustainably You podcast and this is your host Philip and Simi. Uh, and Evie. <laughs> and we have Evie, yeah. uh, our guest appearance. Because
1: um, Vibha is away, she's And she's Evie is a... sitting in. Yes, all right. She's
0: gone for Vipassana for next 10 days. Awesome. So it's
1: us. Just the two of three of us with Evie.
0: Yeah, so... You are listening to Sustainable EU podcast and today we will be talking about sustainable energy. We will will look at different options for sustainable energy. What are the challenges? What are the pros and cons when it comes to retrieving energy from different sources? And if it's possible at all to have it completely 100% sustainable. Let's start with understanding. So currently the source of The biggest source of energy, maybe Philip, you can start with defining what is energy.
1: All right. I love to do that. I love definitions. So Mm -hmm. the etymology of energy that comes from the Greek en and ergon means in work. So energy means in the original Greek, in work or to work. And that's actually a kind of a good definition also because in physics or engineering, the unit for energy and work, the unit for measurement is the same. So the work that you do with a device or a machine is the energy that you put in. So they have the same units, which is joules or calories or um, kilowatt hour.
0: I think the reason why it does, if you think about it, is because it's the most simple way to understand. So anything that moves creates energy or spends energy Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so that's anything that is in motion is um...
1: exactly so energy is the the resource to do work and in physics work is a type of motion
2: Mm.
1: it could be on on a macro level you see objects moving or air or a fluid and on the sub micro level it is atoms or particles in motion or electrons, which is a particle. So energy is a physical resource required to move and work and energy have the same measurement, measuring units. How much energy a system possesses is how much work can be done by the system.
0: Now that when we're talking sustainable energy and stuff, I mean, I'm just jumping here, but maybe people can individually create their own energies in the future. Like, okay, mm-hmm. so we are moving, we're doing so many things in a day mm-hmm. from the time we wake up. We are using or creating energy at every moment in time. Mm-hmm. There must be some way to capture that. And for your own individual spend, like your iWatch or what is it called the Apple Watch or the gears that you wear it could probably just create its own energy unit from from you (laughs) isn't that it would that not be an awesome
1: I I think so it is it's it's awesome but I want to be careful with the language when you're Mm. talking to a physicist or an an engineer Mm -hmm. about creating energy and And um, so we'll get to that, the laws of thermodynamics, uh, in in a minute. But I just wanted to ask you, what do you think of when when you hear energy? What comes to your mind? What are the images that come to your mind?
0: I mean, the first image is obviously lights and cars and um, computers. I mean, that's all over and everywhere. So, yeah.
1: So, when you hear the word energy. I mean, I do also think when
0: I go to the gym, yeah, I mean, I I also think that way, like, oh, yeah. Do I have enough energy today? Or the, the the word the usage of the word. Yes. Maybe that's how I I think when you t- you said energy, my thought the first thing was lights and computers and stuff. So you're. But a common yeah. word is also what we kind of spend in, or yeah. what I kind of have, yeah. or when I wake up in the morning, right. I have so much energy today. You're um, a
1: morning person.
0: Oh, I'm definitely a morning person. Yeah. Okay,
1: and you and run thanks. out of energy towards the, uh, the, the maybe evening,
0: seven o'clock. <laughs> I don't right. know. Maybe that's a bit a bit early.
1: You, you need now a how recharge.
0: About <laughs> how about you? You you're like hundred percent out, and everything else.
1: Yeah. So I I think I I don't know if I'm a morning person, but I I guess I could say I'm more active in the morning and less active in the evening. Yeah. And I fade out by nine ish start that's, fading out
0: yeah that's not bad I, I would say
1: yeah so that's that's again energy and that's well biological energy yeah we can talk about that in a bit so this is just to illustrate the different kinds of energy that we have to deal with and so we have to be careful when we talk about energy with one another so hopefully we'll get time That is, to if deal. you're
0: talking to an academic like you
1: well i don't think
0: yeah i don't think like layman like somebody who's just me or anyone who's just not academically inclined would really think so much when they think about using a word yeah oh do they i don't know one of my pet
1: peeves is uh, positive energy and negative energy because
0: that's mine too
1: (laughs) yeah we in in physics we look at energy as a scalar Mm -hmm. quantity not a vector and so the negative or positive is given in terms of the flow yeah. So if you're getting energy, it's positive. And if you're giving away energy, it's negative. There's no negative energy or, you know, those are psychological things.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But it's, it's also connected to the energy for, of biological systems, which we measure in calories. So we'll talk about that. Before that, I want to introduce the concept of the Occam's razor for the purpose of this show today. And Occam's razor is attributed to a English friar or priest of the Franciscan order by the name of William of Occam. He lived from 1287 to 1347. And he came up with this concept that uh, essentially says that if there is an explanation that you're looking for, for a phenomena, the simplest explanation should be the one that you choose not the most complicated one. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so it should be as easy as it, as it gets when it's explained yes. to someone.
1: So it says for problem-solving principles, the entities should not be multiplied beyond necessity. Mm-hmm. So don't look for extremely unnecessary explanations. Complex for
0: words, yeah. phrases, yeah.
1: So just go for the simplest. Yeah. But I want to make a variation on that, and that, and that is the optimistic op- Occam's razor. So if we have choices, then choose the more optimistic one. Yeah. Or err on the side of life or progress, rather than erring on the side of uh, fear.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's like our podcast, and I totally agree with you. And I, I think that's the only that should be the only way to live life if you want to live life to the fullest and enjoy everything at the moment. But it's funny enough recently, I saw I was listening to a radio show and she that episode of the show was about toxic po- positivity and I was like where did you come up with this phrase called toxic positivity so she's explaining how when people are overly positive it's quite annoying to some okay. other people who is going through some trauma in life or okay yeah so that's that's also now I think uh, people are getting more and more they're talking about being positive and, you know, why it's good to live positively. But there are also some people who are completely annoyed by <laughs> the positivity, I think. Yeah, go yeah. on. I'm sorry. Let's talk so, about the Occam razor. Yeah, Occam's so, razor. And,
1: and the word razor, again, is from, you know, the, the razor that you cut with, right? So, it's it's kind of a cutting tool, a philosophical tool. So, choose the explanation that is simpler and the optimistic Occam's razor would be to choose the energy source or option that favors progress, favors life, and um, prosperity and optimism.
0: And easy to choose.
1: Exactly. And also easiness.
0: Yes. So keeping in mind Occam's razor, how would you define energy?
1: So it depends on what your your industry you're dealing with or the application. In our lives, we l- deal with uh, mostly but three or four types of energy. We, we look at electricity for the house, the foods that we eat for the biological energy for ourselves. Yeah. And then the energy for your car or your transportation, right? Or so, to
0: light up your house. Yeah,
1: yeah, so for lighting up your house, uh, most of the time it's electricity.
0: Yeah.
1: So you choose... Yeah,
0: you do not really think about it as energy, You're right? Maybe...
1: So electricity is the most versatile form of energy. So once you have... Electricity from various sources of energy, then you can convert it into electricity. Then it's easy to channel it or share it with others, uh, distribute it, and so on, or to even bill somebody, your customers. And now we have electric vehicle options. So electricity is the most commonly used form of energy.
0: So electricity is where we have the biggest spend Mm -hmm. of energy. Is that the right statement?
1: Yes. My utility bill. The majority of that is for electricity. The water bill is uh, considerably higher, uh, lower. Maybe about a quarter of the electricity is is water, or even less.
0: So when we talk about sustainable electricity, now we're not only talking about having environmental sustainability, but also economical sustainability mm-hmm. for, for people. In the recent past, I mean, or oh, from the time when we started having electricity and uh, motor cars and all that stuff, we've been dependent on petroleum. And as we were talking before we started, uh, started the show, we were talking about that petroleum is not the monster that we made it out to be in the recent past. Let's start there. Let's you talk about petroleum? Pet- petroleum. yes. Let's start with petroleum. Okay. The biggest headline in past 10, 20 years has been, I won't say 10, 20, but 15, 20 years is how petroleum is, of, of course, first, a big pollutant mm-hmm. uh, because of the CO and CO2. Secondly, it is non-renewable. Mm-hmm. So, is that true?
1: Well, I have to give you a mixed answer to mm-hmm. that. So now we are, as humans, progressing and um, we are developing new technologies. So, petroleum came on the scene in the late 1800s as a big source of energy and it actually solved a lot of huge problems. One of the biggest problems that uh, big city administrators were dealing with in the late 1800s, and then they were predicting great calamity in the next few decades was how to deal with horse manure. Cities like London and New York and Chicago and so on, uh, they had high population densities and they were using horses for transportation. And they had to deal with horse manure waste, I mean, or how to get rid of them. So petroleum came in and actually cleaned up that that whole problem, but created new problems on its own.
0: It's amazing when you say that, like how all our problems are very relative Mm -hmm. to the times that we live in. And we think... We are the worst decision makers in terms of the crisis we have bought into. And we never look into the past where it was the same case in every era. There was something. Yes.
1: And there's also the story of how petroleum saved the whales. Oh,
0: that's a great story. I I would love to hear. I haven't heard of that.
1: Because um, the oils that was used for lighting and heating in um, the, the west, in the mm-hmm. northern northern part of the hem, northern hemisphere, was whale oil. And so people hunted whales to extract the fat and the oil to burn for lighting and heating. Is it? Yes. Wow. So petroleum came in and replaced whale oil. Yeah, right, who would well have said that? I mean, yeah. these
0: days the story is the oil leak is creating huge troubles for fishes. and
1: Yes, oil oil spills. Yeah. Right. So this is a 21st century problem, or even a yeah. 20th century. That's um, a
0: great story.
1: So again, we need to develop new technologies to deal with the new problems that we are creating, and we will have problems as we go along. But it's important to be optimistic, to to have that hope that human ingenuity will solve these problems, and and to help people who are creative to be more creative and come out with solutions.
0: To exercise your brains. Exactly. Yeah. If you're all so comfortable, there wouldn't be no thought process and there'd be nothing going on.
1: Mm.
0: And that's when you do not exercise one part of your muscle or be it any any muscle, it stops functioning the Mm -hmm. way it should.
1: So we have to rethink uh, education, how we educate our kids to be, you know, we want them to be more creative and not just use the same old education techniques of Industrial Revolution 1.0. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to rethink our existence in, in, in many ways. So and another controversial thing that I want to discuss here very briefly is the abiotic theory of petroleum. The current mainstream theory of uh, where petroleum comes from is that it came from dead dinosaurs buried deep under the ground. <laughs> <laughs> but... The abiotic theory says that hydrocarbons, such as petroleum, is a product of the Earth, and the Earth produces natural gas and complex hydrocarbons, such as petroleum, naturally from below the ground, and then it precipitates up in certain places, easier in some places than in others, such as say Saudi Arabia, where it's easier to drill them, drill, and more difficult in some other places. So, what the abiotic theory would suggest is that there is no peak oil we just have to keep looking for new sources new sources of petroleum now there so was, can you I mean,
0: say like it's it's like underground water
1: it's much deeper than that
0: no it, i mean uh, the idea yes of petroleum
1: mm-hmm.
0: N- not that where you find the oil but the idea okay so if i have a well in my house today at some point the water dies off. So that doesn't mean that it's completely over mm-hmm. it, i can go probably to the next house and or You know, dig a well and you might find water there.
1: Yes.
0: Is that also the case for oil?
1: Yes, it's uh, kind of like that. So there are cases where empty wells, petroleum wells, are filling up again. So they can find uh, newer techniques to extract more oil from seemingly empty wells.
0: But is it fair to say that it's non-renewable?
1: Okay. Yes, but no. So petroleum is a hydrocarbon. And that means that we can create that in a lab. Because if you take some waste uh, hydrocarbons, such as your waste vegetables or your sewage, Mm -hmm. and you treat it with high pressure and temperature, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it would turn into petroleum and tar. And then we can distill it and fractionate it to produce aviation fuel or petrol, kerosene, etc. So in that sense, in one sense, it is... It's not renewable because it'll it'll run out and we had to wait for the earth to produce it. But in the other sense, we can produce it ourselves in the lab by using waste Mm -hmm. and waste hydrocarbons, which is waste biological materials that we generally throw away in the landfill. So that is a very positive development, in, in my opinion. But let's talk about petroleum a bit more. So. We commonly think of petroleum for petrol, gasoline, and diesel and kerosene. But there are a lot of other things that come from petroleum. There's the asphalt that goes into the roads. But then there are chemicals like paints and fertilizers and plastics and many other useful industrial chemicals that are all around us. Some, Sometimes, you know, the nylons and
0: the clothes, clothes um,
1: yeah. polyester and so on need petroleum-based compounds that that are processed into those different forms. So even if we stop using petroleum for cars and trucks and so on, or even for power generation plants, uh, thermal power plants that run on diesel, we will need petroleum for these other purposes. Now, what that also says is that plastics and other hydrocarbons could be reprocessed into petrol, gasoline, or diesel, or aviation fuel. Now, aviation fuel has no other alternative for the f- the next couple of decades, in my opinion, because we are dependent on kerosene aviation fuel. Because we cannot depend on hydrogen for aviation, we cannot. I uh, don't
0: want to think about it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean,
0: <laughs>
1: you're probably thinking about the Hindenburg disaster. That, yeah, you know the the <laughs> blimps that. Uh, worked with hydrogen but now modern day uh, blimps work with helium or yeah, we'll even come with to that. hydrogen. We'll come yes. to
0: hydrogen in later part.
1: Yeah so for aviation fuel uh, there is no other alternative in the near term until hydrogen based propulsion systems mature and become commercially viable there is considerable research in that arena but it's going to take some time mm. and also the infrastructure for hydrogen needs to be created it's not ready yet. So we could Stop gasoline cars altogether like in some nations in Europe are doing. They're going to ban combustion cars, internal combustion cars by 2035 or so. And even if uh, the rest of the world follows suit, we will still need petroleum for other things such as chemicals, plastics, even pharmaceuticals, paints, fertilizers, and aviation fuel.
0: So that's one part. If it's renewable or not. Now the, the second part of it, the carbon emission. Can petroleum be carbon neutral? Right.
1: That is a big question. It's the easy answer is no. Mm-hmm. And the the longer answer is no, but yes.
0: <laughs> okay. Of course, we know no is a no. But what about no but yes?
1: <laughs> okay. So well, how does that work? Yeah. So, so that,
0: that that's that, uh, that's interesting because it then means there is a solution. Yes. If we say our planes are going to fly on petroleum for the next fifteen years, then we we still can use petroleum to in a smaller proportion than what we're doing now, but it could be safer. Uh, it doesn't have to emit carbon, mm-hmm. right?
1: Well, if we use petroleum just for not for transportation, uh, let's forget about aviation for mm-hmm. a bit, but. If we use petroleum solely for other purposes, such as fertilizers and paint and plastics and so on. And if those materials are recycled properly, you could say then, yes, we could be carbon neutral in that we're not releasing carbon into the atmosphere. But for transportation, it's not an easy answer. But there are solutions. So the solutions for net carbon neutrality could come from new technologies such as carbon capture and storage Mm -hmm. and that is in the development stage there are many new technologies for carbon capture and carbon capture and storage and carbon capture and conversion as in you can um, capture the carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide from the chimneys or even at the exhaust port and then convert them back into various carbon products such as diamonds or graphene or even new gasoline and oil
0: Boxes. I mean, there's many things I've been recently reading. Yes, yes.
1: So carbon capture and conversion technologies are in the works. And so that's a very positive thing. Mm -hmm. I still favor nature being a partner in that carbon neutrality endeavor because our biggest carbon absorber are plants and algae and plants in the water and plants on all kinds of places.
0: But the problem now is, is we... Human species have grown exponentially in past hundred years. Our need for energy spent has grown tremendously in the last fifty years. So, can we have enough trees and algae? You know, those kind of our natural partners, as you call it, to take care of that? Because one, obviously, one thing is they absorb carbon to create food, but then they also breathe and they expel carbon into mm-hmm. the. So does that work without our intervention? I do think we're creating so much of that. It's important that we also manage that carbon expulsion into the Mm -hmm. atmosphere.
1: So this is why we have to look at uh, multiple sources of energy. As we talked about last time, we want not all of our energy sources in one basket, you know, in, in one type of egg. We want multiple baskets and multiple types of eggs. Eggs, yeah. And together we can be carbon neutral or carbon negative
2: hmm.
1: and also clean up our environments because it's not just the carbon, we're also talking about pollution of you know other gases and other emissions as gaseous as well as liquid or even solid. So all these can be cut down.
0: That was one source. Now that uh, we, we're talking about different eggs, one of the most favorite, Source of energy has been solar
2: mm-hmm. in
0: the in the recent. I remember hearing solar panels for the first time, like maybe twenty years ago, twenty five years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's yes. really
0: caught up, right?
1: Right. We had those little calculators with a solar panel, right? All of us who are more than thirty <laughs> something years uh, would remember that.
0: Yeah, and now I mean, I have I have all sort of those small solar lights all around in the garden and on the tree. and it works perfectly yes it works perfectly it's been two years i do not have to change it and stuff but obviously there's still waste in it um it's mostly (laughs) a lot of plastic uh, so to speak yeah but let's talk about solar i remember we were talking about this before the show that it's not as as efficient as one would think it is and it cannot take care of our need uh, as much as a petroleum can have a Mm-hmm. can't take care of how much energy we need.
1: Yeah. So there are a couple of other points that we should keep in mind. There's energy density, which is the energy per unit volume,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or even energy per unit mass. This is a critical factor. And for example, a, a battery has less energy density than the same weight of petrol, which has less energy than a similar weight of nuclear fuel. So that's energy density in a nutshell. And then the other factor is reliability. When you want energy, you should have it. If you don't, then it, it could be a life-critical matter, So, such as a hospital, uh, yeah. an operating theater. So energy should be reliable available. and readily available in the right amounts that you need, and it should be secure and safe. So there are all these factors that you have to consider. So solar by itself cannot be secure and reliable.
0: So you're saying uh, like a utility company, a company that manages derive energy and uh, distribute it to the customers. One cannot do solar, so you cannot store solar energy?
1: Yes. So we have to look into storage of solar energy. So let me just go over the various solar energy types very briefly. The most common type that you're aware of is solar photovoltaic cells, that is solar PV and that converts solar light directly into electricity. And it's a DC electricity at a very low voltage. And so you need a lot of panels to get uh, higher voltages, higher currents and higher power. Now, solar PV has reduced in price considerably, so that they're quite cheap and very easily available. We are not looking at the manufacturing and the pollution that's associated with manufacturing at this point, because that would not make it green, if you look at that. But let's just look at solar PV for a utility company, such as, say, Dubai Electricity and Water Authority. They would have to look at multiple sources of energy, such as solar, thermal, as well as even nuclear, in order to maintain reliability of the grid and security. Now, the problem with solar is the main Obvious one is that there's no solar at night. And so we have to store uh, solar electricity. And the main form of storage would be batteries. What utility company would do is they have a grid with multiple sources of energy feeding into the same grid. Solar being one of them.
0: So we can store solar energy. That's, uh, we that's, can. That, that's established. So why can't it be 100% solar? I would think if you have multiple solar so it depends how many batteries you have right so if you have enough batteries it can work it's not like sun is only going to have this much and then oh, it's going to be it, there is sun everywhere in countries like Saudi Arabia or UAE or Oman. why why can't we be completely reliable on if if it's sustainable but that's another thing that mm-hmm. you just spoke about yeah. creating the panels <laughs> yeah is not sustainable but maybe we can come back to it later
1: yeah. So then the, the the main factor there is power or energy density. Solar would need a large surface area, a lot of land mm. dedicated to solar energy alone. Although for photovoltaics, you can add in some animal husbandry and so on in the same land. You could do multipurpose land utilization there. But the footprint uh, or, or the physical footprint footprint, as in the area of land, is is just humongous for solar. If you had a thermal power plant for an equivalent, say, a 10 megawatts or 100 megawatt size plant would only take a couple of acres, whereas for solar, it would be hundreds of acres. Okay. And then...
0: So you, you were also talking about the density, mm-hmm. the storage density, yes. was that?
1: Now, we also have to then talk about this, the storage. The storage itself would take a lot of land, mm-hmm. and the batteries have to be procured and maintained and those are expensive they also have shelf life or a utility life then you had to think about their life cycle how are we going to replace them what do we do with them at the end of their lives and so on so there are all these other additional considerations for solar now a typical city such as Dubai would need a few gigawatt of power at any given day and solar solar in alone would not be able to provide all of that because dubai just doesn't have that kind of land
0: also every house has solar panels and then whatever is spent so now we are utilizing the space that every house is holding anyways and each household can have some self-reliance on some amount of energy that they spend and the rest comes from you know the municipality in that case is that a possibility Mm -hmm.
1: so there you go that's a a really good so- a solution for multiplexing or multi-purposing your land area. So you could make use of available roof spaces in the cities, in both urban and also rural areas also, to install solar PV and then uh, produce electricity. But again, you have to consider that the roofs are also needed for other purposes, such as um, uh, equipment and uh, access and so on. So there's not enough space on any building to provide all the energy for that building. For a house, maybe, but a multi-story building no. you know, wouldn't be able to support itself. It has to be on the grid.
0: So that is PV, right? Um, yes. Now, we also have the CSP yes. system of solar panels. Now, yeah. before we come to that, you you said there's one thing that getting solar, using solar energy as a sustainable resource because sun is there and we have these panels. And it's a completely different story where the panels and how the panels are made. Let's touch upon it briefly because I think it's of interest when people are deciding these are the different resources that we have and what do we, how do we build or come up with a plan that is sustainable for my city, my town, hmm. my state, my country yeah.
1: so let's see how do I where do I answer your question first? Maybe um, start
0: from the very beginning where the solar panels are created yeah.
1: so we looked at solar PV and uh, theres solar cSP concentrated solar power now for the consumers, the individual or household consumers the rooftop water heaters that are powered by solar power. Those are excellent, and I would readily support people installing their own uh, water heaters, solar water heaters. But utility-size companies that run CSP, we had to consider their uh, effectiveness, not just for CSP, but also for PV. Let's look at uh, the manufacturing of PV. Most of the manufacturing of PV is done in China. So China has been able to reduce the cost of solar PV panels down to about three to five cents per kilowatt hour. It's lower than that, but I just want to give a a, a rough approximate uh, number so that people can yeah, just use it so for calculation. Yes, and and the other nations have sort of given up on uh, manufacturing in high volumes as China has because of the because of the lower cost of PV from China. But the manufacturing itself takes a lot of energy, which comes presently from fossil fuels. And we're talking about coal and petroleum. And then there are lots of petroleum and coal products that go into PV, such as the plastic for the structures, the wires, the insulation, the connectors, the the brackets, the mounting equipment, and so on. So there's a lot of fossil fuel-based products that go into them. In addition, they have to be then transported from the factory in China to a ship that plies the oceans. That runs on fossil fuels, and then they are transported to your country where they have to be offloaded and transported to your site and then installed, all of which takes a lot of transportation and energy and and other costs. So when you look into all of those factors, your solar installation may not be uh, net zero or carbon neutral or non-polluting.
0: So... I would think that that's especially the logistics part of it is a consideration for almost all sort of energy Mm -hmm. derivers. Is that the right word, deriver? Because... Any sort of fuel or an equipment that creates energy comes from somewhere and goes somewhere. So unless we are kind of self-reliant as a country and we say, okay, our solar panels are going to be made here in in England, let's say if you're English or um, I don't know, in, uh, in US, you will invariably have that cost to bear. You will not be net zero. You will mm. have some sort of, pollution. It is not what you would think is sustainable.
1: Mm -hmm. Another thing to consider is what happens at the end of its usable life, which is about 20 years for a typical solar panel. What happens after that is that it has to be processed into something else that's useful Mm. or put into a landfill. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of solar PV equipment is going.
0: Absolutely. Uh, When we started talking about solar panels and I was telling you that I have many solar installations in my house. Well, I know, oh, it's great as long as it lasts the day it dies. uh, What happens to it? Mm -hmm. it, It's not like, okay, so now let me take this to this place and it would be, it can be reused and it's a solar panel again and it comes back. Now that's also Great thing to look into if you are somebody who who is a disruptor and want to Mm -hmm. innovate.
1: Well, one of the problems with solar PV is that their efficiency drops over their twenty-year lifetime. So the top efficiency now is at about fifteen to eighteen percent for conversion of solar light into electricity. Wow! So it's quite low. Yeah. And then that number drops down to the tens or less than tens towards the end of its life. And then the other thing is. um,
0: but is a, I'm, I'm talking about the small installations. What What about the big ones? Yeah. The, they also need servicing and things exactly.
1: like that, right? They get covered with dust. They have mm. to be cleaned regularly. Yeah. And where the solar energy is available in plenty at higher density, such as in the, the Middle East and the deserts, yeah. well, they're full of sand. And then the sand would cover the panels and reduce the efficiency further. So they have to be maintained daily. mm mm-hmm. And so you you either have to hire manual labor or robotic labor or machines to clean the panels regularly. So those are important factors that you have to to consider. consider.
0: So that was us talking about PV panels. Yes. So the other one is CSP Mm -hmm. system. How is that different? So to my understanding, CSP yes. derives energy from, from the sun.
1: Right. So CSP, which is concentrated solar power, converts solar heat, mm. not, the, the, not light the light part yeah. of it, but the heat of the light, into electricity mm-hmm. through multiple stages. Now, there are two main types. One is the, the tower type, where we have a central tower onto which parabolic mirrors focus the solar light heat and then the other one is trough type parabolic mirror which have a pipe that carries an oil or molten salt through their center and and then there are thousands of these mirrors the first type the central tower type have bad impacts on the net on the local wildlife as in it could kill birds
0: how is that because it's a mirror
1: because you're concentrating hot solar energy onto Mm -hmm. a central tower and if a bird flies by they would just get burnt so yeah. you cannot put them in you cannot install them in the migratory routes of birds yeah or where there are wildlife that could be impacted by them so you have to look for uninhabited areas that are protected and accessible and dedicated for CSP. Yeah. and there are some areas here in Dubai and uh, the deserts of Abu Dhabi and also in, in uh, North Africa, in the Sahara. And these facilities have to be maintained. They have to be protected against attacks, especially in North Africa. There's There are security issues because mm-hmm. of uh, geopolitical issues in those nations. So they need security. Now, again, the, the problem with CSP, are several. One is that uh, you need all that land which cannot be used for anything else, but then we could say the Sahara is not being used for anything... Regardless. Regardless. So it's a good use of that land, which is true. The other problem with CSP is that they use a molten salt, which solidifies at about 110 degrees centigrade. Okay, so they, Mm -hmm. when the sun shines and they concentrate the the energy onto the tower or onto the molten salt receiver, it uh, melts it down so that it can flow, but... That only happens during the day, say, between 10 and 5 p.m. After that, the heat that was stored within that molten salt is gradually used up as the molten salt is, uh, is circulated within the heat exchanger system, and it will eventually solidify. So in the morning, when the plant starts up again, as the sun starts shining, the molten salt is now solid. It's not flowing. So how do you get it to flow? Well, you have to melt it down using either fossil fuel or electricity.
0: I would wait for the sun to shine enough to (laughs) have it melted.
1: So then you are using up a major fraction of your day just to get the machine started. And so the usable period every day is just a few hours. Mm. Now, these are some of the reasons why relying only on solar power can actually cause your electric bills to go up. Even though the levelized cost of electricity for solar is in the cents, is in as about two cents or less mm. per kilowatt hour, mm-hmm. your total electricity bill can go to uh, tens of cents. So let me illustrate why that's the case. So imagine if you have a solar car; it runs entirely on solar and it doesn't have batteries, right? So if the sun shines, it runs. So you're you're driving around. During the day on solar. Now, you also need another truck that runs on diesel, okay? Now, you park it during the day because you're doing all your chores with your solar car during the day. Now, at night or when the sun goes down, you rely entirely on your diesel car or your diesel truck. Now,
0: so I would say you will have multiple. Batteries. So then, while you're using direct energy when you're driving during the day, I'll have a battery charged at home, so which can be used during the night.
1: Yeah. So this that, is the that battery, his... are you charging it off of solar? Solar. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're talking about then having extra panels to. Yeah. Yeah. So this example, we are looking at uh, you as a city. Okay. You are a city. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm just trying to scale. You as one person, but Mm -hmm. comparing you to a city and all the other things that the electricity is being used for. Now, your diesel truck is sitting idle during the day, but you had to pay for it, right? You had to buy it and you have to maintain it. Mm -hmm. And so that costs you money. So if that diesel truck represents a thermal power plant, the workers in that thermal power plant are not being paid or they're not working during the day, but their salaries have to be paid, that power plant has to be kept in top working condition, which Mm -hmm. takes labor and maintenance and so on, and money. Mm -hmm. And where does that money come from? So you have to pass it on to your consumer. And so that's why cities that rely heavily on solar power might find their utility bills going up as they increase the solar photovoltaic systems.
0: Maybe I play the devil's advocate. I just feel like if you decide, okay, I like to go solar, then you should go full-on solar and stop reliability on fossil fuel. Now, obviously, you cannot completely one day say, oh, let's close down. Otherwise, Sri Lanka kind of issues happen. <laughs> we, we do it in phases. Why do we need that diesel truck standing anywhere?
1: Okay. At night, there's simply not enough batteries in the world to power a big city. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you cannot store enough solar. In, in batteries or any other form to completely rely on solar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And secondly, that you have lots of industries and businesses and consumers that rely, that need secure, reliable power. Yeah, And solar is not available when you want it. It's in the morning it's at low intensity and in the evening it's at low intensity and you have cloud cover, you might have a rain day, you might have a sandstorm and so on. So there, it's very unreliable
0: that's very much true also now that we have most of our our things stored in clouds that needs a continuous 24/7 mm-hmm. reliable power grid and when you yep. talk about a city that's a lot of information stored yep. and so is everybody's home or yeah. banks and, and
1: in hospitals yes, hospitals uh, yeah and uh, babies true. are you know in uh, incubators they have mm. um, icus where yeah. they need reliable power you know, you, you don't know when uh, somebody has a heart attack. It's Absolutely, not, you know, it could be at any time of the day or night. So power reliability is a very important factor. I like to argue in favor of consuming more energy per capita. It sounds
0: what do you mean? You
1: counterintuitive, yes.
0: That you want people to consume more energy, or a, or yes. a city, or a country to consume more energy. Yes, but that also means that now you have to create. Not create, but you need to derive more energy from exactly. sources.
1: Yes. Okay. So How? It, it is a good thing to actually have more, even if it's solar and mm. wind, geothermal, hydroelectric, uh, and nuclear, which is including fusion and fission. And then also waste to energy, which is a, a big thing that we need to get into later. But a society or a country should produce more energy and make uh, more energy available available. For each of its citizens. And that would be a good thing.
0: You mean good thing is as an everyday everyday living. Or good for creating a more stable, s- stable, <laughs> stable society. Or for, for human beings to thrive. Yes. What, does, what are you hitting on?
1: Yes, and security. So you, I would
0: like you to maybe explain. Yes, maybe yes. with an example or something.
1: So for a person to have security. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you're out on the streets. You need lighting you need mobility say transportation e- even in your house you want air conditioning or heating and then you want electricity for computing and communications in your workplace similarly need uh, all those things and for health more hospitals more healthcare facilities and systems more you know ICU equipment and so on and, and diagnostic equipment and so on so the availability of um, All of these services would be possible only if you have more energy per capita. In the past, societies and mankind depended on human energy, muscle power, as well as animal energy. And then they would use something like wood, which is a very low energy density fuel source. And they might even have animal fats or oils, vegetable and animal. But today we have electricity available at very high wattage, very high power rating. And that's a good thing because now we have better mobility, better safety, security, and better standards, uh, standards of living and so on.
0: Connectivity.
1: Connectivity.
0: Yeah.
1: We are able to interconnect with people all over the world without having to even travel there, right? So all of these services and facilities and lifestyle choices become possible because of the availability of more energy per capita per yeah. person.
0: No, I got the argument, and I I completely agree with what you said. I mean, if you think about countries where where, where there's low availability of energy, mm-hmm. the power grid is not reliable, transportation is not as good, Th- those are countries which do not have that excess of
2: yep. uh, energy
1: energy
0: source or derive enough yeah. energy in comparison to countries like what we live in right mm-hmm. now or in Europe, where mm-hmm. people do not know how to live without in the middle of December. It's annoying. They cannot even comprehend not having electricity, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. So
1: in countries where uh, per capita energy availability is low... You will also find lower life expectancy, higher disease rates, higher crime, lower levels of education, less employment, and so on. All these ills of society are higher mm-hmm. where less energy is available. And as uh, a human species, we are advancing and we want to keep advancing. We want to progress. And uh, so the per capita availability of energy will only increase. And yeah. we want it to for yeah. And what I'm then saying is that it doesn't necessarily also mean that that will destroy the environment. We can have both. We can have good clean environments as well as high energy availability per capita.
0: And um, that very well can be the case if we stop being reliant on one source of energy mm-hmm. and we go into multiple sources. So it is, it becomes more sustainable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, while we're talking about sustainable energy, we spoke about solar power. One of the sources of energy that I recently came across recently, meaning like ten years, uh, is geothermal. So what's geothermal, Philip? Okay. If you can just give a quick understanding to people.
1: Yes, so geothermal comes from geo, which means earth, and thermal, which means heat. So it's the heat from the earth. And uh, we see the manifestation of earth heat in hot springs. Mm -hmm. Um, You will see that in parts of the UAE near the mountains. Many countries have it. So presently, it's only harnessed. Geothermal is only harnessed in countries where the heat from under the ground is available very close to the surface mm-hmm. and in large quantities. And uh, the leader in harnessing geothermal energy is Iceland. In my last argument, I was uh, arguing in favor of nations pursuing a higher energy availability per capita because there is a, a link between Human Development Index, HDI, and electricity consumption per capita in kilowatt hours. So countries above 0.9 on the Human Development Index have a higher energy consumption or energy availability per capita. So they are interlinked. interlinked. So Iceland is the leader when it comes to electricity consumption or electricity availability per capita. They have about 30 kilowatt hours per capita. Wow. And their HDI is about 0.99 or 0.95, somewhere up there. The U.S. is a little bit below, 0.94-ish, and they have about 15 kilowatt hours per capita.
0: That's such a huge difference, difference just from Iceland to
1: Yes. So where does Iceland get all of its power, almost all of it, is geothermal. Now, they are very lucky. They're very fortunate in that.
0: They're in that kind of a location. Yes. So Mm -hmm. it is
1: location-specific. Only partly. I'll get to that in Mm -hmm. in a bit about the location. So geothermal is heat from the ground that comes up to the surface level or close to the surface. And Iceland is able to tap it for producing electricity through Mm -hmm. steam turbines that run on geothermal energy. And then they use that electricity and then the heat for even growing vegetables in the winter in greenhouses. And the hot water from the springs are used for heating uh, outdoor swimming pools in the middle of the winter and so on. Now, many other countries have geothermal uh, availability that are easy to access, but most of them have not tapped that energy. Geothermal actually is available at every point on the globe, because if you dig deep enough, it is extremely hot there. So if you have to go about five kilometers or more and you can find geothermal energy for the taking but obviously you know it takes a lot of investments and effort but it is something that has huge potential it is renewable Mm. and it would have very low carbon emissions
0: Mm -hmm. but when you dig into the hot part of the earth there must be other gases that you kind of release
1: well you can yes there, there are gases below the earth that they would come out mm-hmm. anyway, but you can do it cleanly so that uh, you only produce steam. Uh-huh. Um, or you can capture the uh, noxious gases that may be emitted also.
0: Now, well, when we were talking about solar energy, one of the things that we were talking about is the reliability. Mm-hmm. It's not a reliable source of energy if we want constant power.
1: Yeah.
0: How about geothermal?
1: Yes, that's the great thing about geothermal. It doesn't turn off mm. as, as long as the Earth... Remains, It's going to be hot yeah. Yeah. and it's always on. And that's why Iceland has uh, 24-7, 365 power from geothermal. So, yes, if you can set up your geothermal systems for heat capture, uh, it would be 24-7, 365. Now, you can also dump heat into the ground. If you dig about five meters below the ground, uh, ground surface, the temperature there does not change throughout the year and uh, utility companies make use of this in that they bury their pipes for water supply at that depth where the temperatures are constant so that uh, in cold countries, they, the, the water pipes do not freeze, mm-hmm. and in hot countries, they don't get, get extremely heat hot. So in hot countries like the UAE, we need air conditioning, and it's a necessity for life here. So there is considerable amount of heat that is has to be dumped into the atmosphere from the air conditioners. That's yeah. heat captured from your room, and it's dumped outside at a higher temperature. That heat could be dumped into the ground with very safely. Oh, wow. Again, this technology is not widely tapped yet. But,
0: but it is out there.
1: It's out there. Mm-hmm. It's in almost every country in the world. It's out there.
0: Now, when you, when you say okay, a country like Iceland where uh, the heating is available closer to the surface and therefore they tap into it, but some other countries where it's not so closely available, then they probably also have to. But that's a, oh, that's a one-time investment Then they do still. It would still be a very, very good source of energy in congestion with Many other sources, let's say wind air, and solar and whatnot. Uh, what not what what other whatever other ways to tap energy is, but this can be one reliant source, and it won't be that expensive, is it?
1: Now Iceland is very fortunate in that they can rely exclusively on geothermal
2: mm-hmm.
1: well, with many uh, minor reliance on um, petroleum for transportation, but most other countries would require. A basket of energy sources, and for reliability as well as the economics to work.
0: Mm-hmm. No, uh, what I was trying to uh, figure out is the cost of setup and what you get out of it. That it's it's a one-time investment, and then it, it that's done with, and then then you have a constant reservoir of energy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. So it is a, a long-term energy source, mm-hmm. and it's, it just require periodic or, or regular maintenance, but it would run for a long period of time. So your investment would go over a longer period of time.
0: So from my perspective, it seems a great replacement in that basket of mm-hmm. energy. Well, I'm sure there are some disadvantages, too, because you do not hear so much about geothermal. Uh, it's, it's, it's not as... Popular uh, Mm -hmm. uh, as wind windmills and solar panels and nuclear that we'll talk about later. Why is that? There must be something to it. Is it just that it the availability or something more to it?
1: Well, it's presently the the market forces because of the availability of easy energy such as petroleum and even solar. Uh, solar PV in most countries, as well as hydro and nuclear energy in many countries. So the investment in geothermal has been low, except in some countries where there is a need and either it's, it's a financial need, I mean, financially supportable need, or the terrain itself would demand a geothermal power plant rather than a petroleum power plant, say, you know, a mountainous region. So in those countries, geothermal is uh, is applied, and in other countries, it's not that popular yet. But the the scientific and engineering community behind uh, geothermal energy is growing rapidly, and you can see that at uh, the scientific conferences, the numbers of uh, attendees and papers is, has been growing over the, the last few years. So it's it's a an energy source that will see greater development in the coming years
0: so we just covered with what energy is what are the different sources of energy and we also uh, explode some sources like petroleum solar geothermal and in the coming episode that'll be the part two you will be listening into the wind energy the hydrogen what else
1: yes uh, we have a lot to talk about but i'll i'll keep it down to wind hydrogen, bioenergy, and waste as an energy source, and then also nuclear fusion and fission.
0: So that's a very, very interesting episode to understand the different eggs in the basket and what you can choose, what are the different different options available with what works for you and your part of the world. So don't forget to listen in for part two of sustainable energy.
1: Bye, everybody.
0: Thank you so much for listening in. Goodbye.